Once was a land of woe and strife Where the people were bereft of hope They prayed to their gods of might and light To deliver the heroes of old Instead they got Heroes, did you hear the quotes in my voice of moral ambiguity? They may help or may not help you at all, depends on what's in it for them. They kick and they punch and they maul and they smash, they lie and they scheme and they burn and they slash. Succeed or fail, it has to the tell, dungeons and debacles starts now. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Dungeons and Debacles podcast. I am your host and dungeon master, Kevin. Going around the table, Hannah. I'm Hannah, and I'll be playing Talia, the human rogue. And Blake. I'm Blake, and I'll be playing Juliet, the dragonborn eldritch knight slash wizard. And John. I am John, playing Alunidas, elven monk, sadly planning Juliet's death. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. The possibility. The possibility of her death. And Shane. I'm Shane playing Alexander the Human Bard. Okay, so last time on Dungeons and Debacles podcast, you guys had uh, made it out of uh, Mount Sunder, and you started on your way to Ashmarsh um, in hopes to get a boat to travel to Fadel to find the next uh, artifact of the Saviors. It was mostly a planning episode, trying to figure out what you were going to do. Um, you identified some items um, from Bowman Breaker's tomb to see what they were. And then you settled down for the night. Everybody went to sleep. And Shane had a terrible dream. Much like the dreams that he had previously. And heard the voice in the back of his head saying, Feed me. Feed me. Feed me. And he stood up out of his sleep and found himself compelled to walk over to Talia as she slept with the dagger in his hand. Alexander is now standing over Talia. She's sound asleep and breathing deeply. You have the dagger in your hand and it's begging you to feed it. And you push the dagger closer and closer to Talia before you can push the tip into her throat you gain control and the dagger screams at you feed me feed me I can give you power just feed me and then you take your other hand and pull the dagger away and you're panting with the effort you were able to resist the dagger's desires and the voice in your back of back of your head is still this screaming this feral screech Alexander I'm gonna need to get you to give me a constitution and save Okay. I thought we did that last time, didn't we? Uh, this is something different. Seems good to me. Three! Well, not one, but three with the, with the modifier. <laughs> so, as uh, this thing is screaming, you're looking down at it, and it's going to disappear and then reappear in your clenched hand, but the blade is touching your flesh and sinking in, and... There's this black smoke that envelops your hand, and then you feel power being drained out of you and being seeped back into the blade. And you're going to take 1d6 necrotic damage. Neat. And 
That's a three. Taking three. So after this uh, black smoke uh, finds its way back into the dagger, um, the voice gets softer and softer until it's a whisper and then it stops. And then you're going to throw the dagger to the ground and then it just appears right back in your hand. It's pretty spooky. Give me a perception check. Yep. 17. You're really spooked by this and your hand's hurting and your heart's pounding because you're still standing over Talia and you're thinking to yourself, I I couldn't control myself there for a minute and I could have very well just killed her. And then you're going to look around the camp to make sure no one saw what happened. And you scan around and you see Elunidas is asleep and Juliet is sitting up against a tree with her halberd in her hand with her eyes closed and then you're going to turn to your left and you're going to see Nifron lying on his side with his head on his hand looking at you and smiling without a word Nifron stands up and he grabs his sword belt and clasps it around his waist and picks up his cloak he points to you and then to himself and makes a gesture with his hand that you know means talk then he motions for you to follow him as he begins to walk quietly down the road. I follow. The moon is directly overhead now, and it's full. So even with the thick canopy here, you're going to see this dappled moonlight that's enough to see um, to walk by. And you're going to walk down the road for about 45 minutes. Nifron doesn't say a word the entire time. Then he abruptly walks off the side of the road into the woods about five yards and motions for you to follow him. I keep on going. So Nifron squats down and motions for you to come closer. And he points to his right and whispers to you. There's a cottage just a hundred yards from here. I passed it on my way to you. It's late and everyone is asleep. I understand your need than most I do. I saw you over the girl. I saw what you were about to do. I understand. But I see that she's loved by the elf and the dragonborn, and we can't have you killing her just yet. There's too much left to do, and I can't have you fucking this up with your need. I get it. The desire to kill. It's our nature. We are predators and the strong must prey on the weak. It is the way of the world. I don't judge you. I feel it too. So, what to do about it? I say we slip in, kill the woodcutter and his family inside, and we can be back to the camp before anyone notices. What do you say? Okay. This thing needs to feed, apparently. It's got a mind of its own. I shove out my hand with the dagger. Nifron is uh, going to come back out on the road and give me a stealth check. 17. So the two of you are going to make it to this uh, cottage um, that's sitting out in this large clearing. It appears to be a well sitting out in front of it and a horse and two pigs and a pen to the right of the cottage. Uh, The cottage itself has uh, a thatched roof and it's probably no more 
within 15 feet by 15 feet. It has some windows that appear to be shuttered and a uh, wooden door that's the entrance to the house. And Nifron is going to motion for you to come on. I follow. So you make it to the cottage and Nifron is going to go up to the door and ever so slowly try to lift this uh, peg latch that is basically the handle for this door and he starts moving it very slowly up and then it catches and he tries to push forward and nothing happens so he slowly lets the peg back down and reaches into a bag on his waist and pulls out a uh, metal strip that's about a foot long and you see him slide it into the crack of the door and lift it up as he lifts the peg and then pushes forward and the door starts to move forward and open. The door opens and Nifron begins to creep inside and motions for you to come. Uh, I would like to grab his attention with a hand and then cast invisibility on myself. Does that have a uh, verbal component? Uh, yes. Okay, so I'm going to need you to give me a arcana check to see how quietly um, you can speak the verbal component to cast this spell. Uh, 11. Okay. You uh, start to um, cast this spell. It's a little bit louder than you think it w- would be. And Nifron like, puts his, snaps his finger to his mouth for you to be quiet. And uh, you notice something inside um, starts to, to shift. But you keep casting the spell and then it stops. And there's no movement or sound from inside. But you're now invisible. Neat. Nifron um, begins to move inside. I'll give him a stealth check. And that's a 23. That passes. <laughs> Give me a... Are you moving into the cottage? Yeah. Give me a stealth check with advantage. 20. Yep, that does it. So the two of you move slowly into this room, and you're basically shadows. You're moving so stealthily. Um, there's some thin rays of moonlight that are coming through these windows and you can see the form of a man a woman and a small child in this large bed towards the back of the cottage inside you're going to see some uh, some glow from the hearth from uh, where the fire was earlier so that's helping to see some inside the room um seems like they live pretty poorly in here you know they've got some earthen mugs and uh, subwood bowls Um, what's left of the mill for the evening is still setting out Um, it looks like it's mostly uh, vegetables so you think they haven't been eating that much meat so now you're in the room and you're going to see Nifron creep over to the side of the bed where the man is and he motions for you to go to the other side where the child is. I go to where he points. And then you see him make a hand motion. He holds up three fingers 
and then he lowers one, and then towards two, and then another, and then you get the feeling it's like, okay, this is a countdown. And then he lowers the, uh, the last digit, and you see him take that odd-looking dagger up above his head and slams down into the throat of this man in the bed. I'll do the same with my my dagger, dude. Okay, so roll me an attack with advantage. Okay, so with the dagger, that's uh, a dex bonus. Uh, 17 on the first one, 17 on the second one. So you raise that dagger above your head and you can hear the voice come back in your head. Yes, yes, feed me. As you plunge the dagger down into the chest of this uh, sleeping child and then you hear this exhale of breath kind of like a squeak and then even through the moonlight you can see what now appears to be a small girl probably 8 to 10 years old her eyes open wide and then she just stares into the darkness and with that Nifron is going to motion to you to finish the woman in the bed off 19 so you at this point lean further over the girl because the woman is in the middle of this bed so you kind of put your weight on the bed a little bit and then you see her move a little bit like you're waking her and then you're going to take that dagger and plunge it into her throat and you'll hear the dagger again say yes and then you're going to see the dagger start glowing this purplish glow and it glows for probably about five seconds and then it winks out you look up at Nifron and he gives you this like surprise look like what was that he just looks in my general direction right I don't think he can see me no I mean you're you're standing directly across from each other not more than like four or five feet away from this uh big bed there's only one bed in the room makes sense uh what do we do now oh i asked knife from he says well i guess there's no use of being quiet anymore i think we've had enough for tonight what do you say i'm thinking uh this little man i i motion towards my dagger is uh he's content with what we got what do you mean it's content it's got a mind of its own. What do you mean? The dagger talks to me. Talks to you? Yeah, it's hungry. What does it say? It just yells at me to feed it all the time. <laughs> Nifron gives you the strange look, and then he's going to uh, walk from his side of the bed over to you and says, let me see it. I attempt to hand it over. He says, no, I don't want to hold it. Just hold it out in front of you. I do so. Nifron's going to begin casting a spell. And then after a few seconds, he hisses. There's a demon in this dagger. A demon of some considerable power. It took a powerful mage to bind it. But it's not very smart. It's bound to this weapon, and I can hear its whispers now. It hungers. What else have you noticed about this dagger? 
it refuses to let me go. Every time I try and put it somewhere or leave it out, it'll uh, just reappear back in my hand and it'll wake me. It'll uh, communicate to me through nightmares sometimes. Huh. So it's become bound to you. You can't rid it yourself of it by any sort of mundane means, such as throwing it away. It seems very powerful. I'm not even sure a priest could remove this curse. Maybe. Well, I'm not even sure that's an option to get a high priest to do it. How did you come by this dagger? Uh, we came across it at the Shrine of the Raven Queen a while back. I found it on the corpse of some uh, musician in the tomb down there. A musician, do you say? How do you know he was a musician? Uh, by the items he was carrying, he also carried a flute. A flute? Did this musician have a name on his tomb? DM, please incite knowledge into me. I've forgotten it. Uh, you would remember that uh, the dagger and flute belong to a halfling in a patchwork cloak inside the tomb of the Raven Queen named Jarek the Entertainer. I communicate that over. And Nifron's going to start laughing. <laughs> you found the dagger on Jarek the Entertainer? You fool! You call yourself a bod and don't know his tale? The tragedy of Jarek the Cursed? Can't say I have. Should I roll a history check before I say that? Um, you can. Give me, yeah, give me a history check. 21. Okay, now that you're thinking about it, you think that you do remember something about uh, the tale of this halfling, but it was a tragedy and it involved killing most of his family, um, but that's about it. I know that there's some sort of tragedy involving him and killing his entire family, I said in Nifron. So Nifron's going to say, the tale says this dagger was created by a witch in the witching woods at the behest of Jarek's cousin, of whom she seduced, but that was several decades ago. Who knows if that Tempress is even still alive or if you could even find her. Things in those woods are weird. And even if that, I can't imagine what she would want to remove the curse. Yeah, maybe we might, uh, we might be able to find her some sort of uh, person that could unconnect us to the item. That may be, but we're sort of on mission right now. Maybe if we're in the area. But until then, get your shit together. Get your shit, put it in a backpack, and get it together where you have all your shit. I do a shrug. <laughs> did you get the Rick and Morty reference? I sure did. <laughs> so, uh, Nifron's gonna say, Well, I think we should probably be making it back to camp. The hour's getting late, or early as it may be. And he is going to take his strange-looking dagger and wipe it off on the quilt on this bed and then uh, walk out the door. I follow suit. You're going to walk back to camp. And as you get closer to camp, you're starting to see the glow from the fire. And you're still on the road at this point. Um, give me a stealth check. Yep. Six. Okay, so Nifrona at this point is probably about 
a good uh, 25 or 30 uh, yards in front of you. And he is going to slide into camp and down into his blanket. As you walk into the camp, um, Juliet, give me, what's your passive perception? It's like 10. Yeah, 10. Okay. So, Juliet, you are going to wake up and see Shane walking back into the camp. Oh, you uh, scared me there for a minute. Um, just resting my eyes. Um, where were you? Why are you walking back into the camp? I just went out to the bathroom. I got woken up by my needs in the middle of the night. Really? Uh, give me a deception check, Shane. Eleven. And roll me a insight check, Juliet. A four. <laughs> we both got natural ones. Yep. <laughs> so you're both like, okay, it, it, all this checks out. The math adds up. <laughs> But it's funny that you uh, you crit felled, and that's an 11, and she crit felled, and she got a 4. Well, then, off to bed. Uh, I'm protecting us and all that, so get your sleep. Yep, have a good night. Uh, I'm going to hop over to my my humble sleeping thing. I hope you mean literally hop. <laughs> I made bunny. A murder bunny. Everybody uh, sleeps peacefully the uh, rest of the night. You guys do your shift changes, and the sun comes up. Everybody starts getting up for the day. Hmm. Oh my. That was quite the uh, night. Very dark and such. I slept well. Talia, dear, did you sleep well? Yeah, but I had the weirdest dream. Oh, do tell. I was dreaming of, like, dogs with unicorn horns. It was very strange. Oh, puppycorns. Yes, they're magnificent beasts from the outer realms. One day. <laughs> and you, Alexander? It was good. I got interrupted in the middle of the night having to go to the bathroom, but I ended up getting a good amount of sleep. And Nifron. Like a babe in its mother's arms. And, and so you were up all night fussing and shitting yourself? <laughs> He's going to chuckle. <laughs> And you're going to see him start picking his pack up, and he is going to start pulling out some uh, rations and start chewing on them. Well, then I guess it's time to eat, and then we'll pack up and continue our way to Ashmarsh. Yep. Let's find a boat big enough for the cart and steal it. Really? And I was going to say, it really is probably the best way. Less witnesses, but that might be a problem at Ashmarsh. As it's no simple boatman that's just going to have his boat sitting on the side of the river, unattended. Well, we could always pretend to be emissaries from the Queen Ashfell up to Faydale and fake urgent need or something like that. Thus get them on the river with us to, you know, do the boating stuff for us. But wouldn't that put us in the wrong direction? Heading toward Faydale? Oh, sorry, I thought you meant uh, Ashfell. That might draw even more scrutiny, Monk. How are you at forging? Do you have the papers to do that? Um, Juliet might. She's a book nerd person. I do books, but forging might go a little far. It's it's plagiarism. I can't do that on good faith. (laughs) Murder and, and burning down temples... 
you know, that's okay, but I draw the line <laughs> at plagiarism by God. We have fine lines in the sand here, Kevin. Let's get it straight. <laughs> Bright red line. <laughs> well, we can always rely on uh, Alexander's ability to lie our way into things, but it, it, we might just be better off stealing a boat and going up river. I mean, we'll have to murder some people, of course. Otherwise, they'll notice their boat is missing. But, yeah. So, you guys uh, finish up your breakfast and mount your horses and start on down the road. So, do any of you actually know anything about this place or have an idea for a cover story? Are we merchants or traveling entertainers? Or uh, Let's just go with uh, traveling adventures. What will we be doing there? Uh, let's look at the map see where we could be going. Hey, Kevin. Yes? May I roll a, uh, what other check be? Probably a history check to see if I know of any, uh, like, adventure attractions up north that, uh, would be on the way with Fadel? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Give me a history check. 21. You know that there are some magical, mythical creatures that are said to live in the woods, um, to the north and east of Fadel, in the woods up there where there's less civilization, um, where it meets the mountains to the north and starts getting snowy. There's rum- rumors to be manicores and griffins and other sorts of uh, magical fey beasts that have come out of the fey in the weakening between the plains in this portion of the land. I tell Julia that we could probably disguise as uh, adventures on a quest to uh, gather some magical creature game up north. That sounds surprisingly believable. It's a wide, uh, weird world. Adventures of that kind have a little girl with them? A little girl who's not necessarily related to any of them? Eh, we'll know. just claim she's Alexander's sister. It'll work. Or daughter. We don't know how old Alexander looks. Or I can just disguise myself. Um, the thing that would be probably be most believable is Alexander being in some sort of relation to her since they are both human. Well then, um, Alexander, no offense, but you don't look uh, quite the right type to be Talia's father, but maybe an uncle. Works for me. And as we head into the city, you magical types might should go ahead and disguise yourselves just so that we don't look like the group they're looking for or even less like the group they're looking for. So from dragonborn to tiefling, from humans to dwarves, maybe? Nifron's going to say that's an excellent idea. We don't know how far north the word is spread. Okay, then. Um, we can do that. We have to be quick, though. These things only last around an hour. Yep. And Nifron's going to say we have at least another day and a half. Maybe we should... Go into town, get a room at an inn very, very quickly, and then uh, our sneaky types, Talia and Nifron, can go looking for a boat of the appropriate size for us to acquire. Yeah. So is that the plan? It appears to be, yep. So you're going to break camp and start down this road, and then after about 45 minutes or so, you're going to come across a large clearing and you're going to see a small cottage over to the right of the road. There's a 
mule and two pigs outside. And this seems to be a small, poor cottage uh, with a thatched roof. Uh, everybody give me a wisdom check. Seven. Good old twelve. Seven. Eight. We obviously need our coffee. Yeah. Um, the one person that got this already knows what's going on, but uh, Alexander would know it's a chilly, uh, kind of a chilly morning, and you would think there'd be some smoke coming from the chimney, uh, but uh, you would think no one was home if you were just passing by. Hmm. And you also know this is the cottage where um, you guys murdered three people. Yep. So uh, I'm assuming you're just going to pass this by. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to travel for probably another 10 miles, and at this point, it's late afternoon, and you're going to hear a scream coming from up the road. Random encounter. What does the scream sound like? Is it just a generic scream, or are we talking like Wilhelm scream? Give, give me a perception check. A 19. 11. So everybody except for Talia... Uh, would recognize this is probably the scream of a man in pain. It's very sharp, and then it just dies, and you don't hear anything else. And this is coming from up the road, right? Yeah, in the direction that you are heading to. Oh, this is going to take time, isn't it? I suppose there's no easy way to get around it. Let's just keep heading down the road. Um, there's some woods. You could try navigating the horses through. Might not have a problem, but the cart might be a bigger yeah. issue. Cart's gonna be a problem. Let's just go on up the road, guys, and deal with whatever nonsense we have to deal with, I guess. Uh, so is everybody moving forward? Yep. Yeah. Dylan's work is never done. Alright, can everybody see the map? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So... Um, you're going to go further up this road, and you're going to hear some some guttural like grunts and some like tearing sounds. And as you get probably maybe a hundred feet from uh, clearing up here in the road, everybody give me a perception check. 18. 21. 3. So, Juliet and Aludidas... Uh, you would see these two towering figures that appear to be m- maybe 12 to four- 14 feet tall um, with this brownish grayish skin and appears to be wearing rags but the thing that sticks out most about them is it appears that they have two heads and currently it looks like they are breaking down some crates inside of a cart you also see lying on its side a dead horse and that's about all you can see from this distance whoa 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 stop everybody there's some things in the distance uh, two-headed creatures big ones i um, think we can convince them to clear the road let us by i'm curious what's in those crates that they're opening up uh everybody give me either a History check or nature check? Five. Seven. Twelve. Twenty-two! <laughs> City girl recognized it. Um, so 
Talia has probably heard some tales about these in like bedtime stories. Um, when Juliet mentions that they have two heads and they're just about giant size, she's like, oh, those are Ettens. Those are bad news. And uh, you had asked Alinidas uh, whether or not you could reason with them, and she's like, no, they are super evil and savage. Well, I guess we are going to have to kill them to get by. Maybe we can claim a reward when we get to the city. Give me a uh, intelligence check, uh, Linodos. Twelve. It appears that um, this cart was moving in your direction. So it might mean that they were coming from the city. So what we want to do? You guys want to try to get around them, wait them out, fight them? What's up? I suggest that we just try and go around. That would probably be the easiest thing to do, yeah. But what if they see us? I mean... Shouldn't we attack with the element of surprise? That's Uh, also a possibility, yeah. We can just go further into the woods to where we're out of, like, earshot, and then just, uh... Just backtrack a little bit, go out earshot in the woods, and then just go around. Let's put it to a vote. I say go around. Around. I vote through. I vote kill them. They killed a horse. They must die. That's a point. Alright, maybe let's uh, flip a coin to see how this goes. It's up to Nifron now. Nifron's gonna say, I don't care. Uh, Roll a d20, evens we fight. Odds we go around. Well, I think everybody, I think the majority said they wanted to fight. Yeah, no, it was 50-50. Oh, okay. <laughs> so even. Looks like we fight. Narfron's going to say fine. And he's going to take his horse and move it over to the side and put its reins in to tie it off on some uh, branches. And then you're going to see him pull out his uh, rapier and that dagger. Uh, Talia's going to, to tie her horse or her pony up. Um, behind a tree and uh, tie Abbott to the pony. Tie a spider to Abbott. And I will just step down from the cart. Buttercup's not going. Very sturdy, stable. Oops, I had my microphone backwards, didn't I? Uh, very sturdy, stable horse. Not going to go anywhere. Phlegmatic. All right. Uh, Alexander, you want to get on the map? I'm always on the map. Only one of you, Alexander. <laughs> The rise of the bagpipes. Squawking demonic horde. So Nifron's nope. gonna say, How do you wanna do this? Um maybe you and Talia go into the trees, sneak around to get a surprise round, and after you attack, the rest of us will rush in and help kill them. That's what I was just going to suggest. And with that, Nifron is going to start walking into the woods over here. Um Give him a stealth check. What about you, Talia? Sounds good. 24. Yeah. I'm going to put my hood up and move to the other side. Do you need to put your hood up with the back cloak? Do I? Oh, yeah, that's right. She, uh, you don't have the uh, cloak of Elven Count anymore. So you don't have to put a hood up on that back cloak. What? But it gives her the cute bat ears, so she probably will anyway. And it only works in, like, dim light. But 
I thought that was just the bat. Yeah, the stealth part I thought was always. I'll look it up again, but I'm pretty sure the stealth part was always. To give you advantage. Um, while the wearer, where, while wearing this cloak, you have advantage on dexterity, self, stealth checks, and in any in an area of dim light, you can grip the edges of fly. So it's the flying and the turning into the bat that requires dimness, but it always gives me advantage on stealth. Well, there you go. And I want it noted that it is now canon that it has a cute bat face ear thing for the hood. Oh yeah. Uh, Tal, you give me a stealth check. Sixteen. So, these uh, two Ettons are currently tearing through some barrels and crates uh, that are on this cart, and you're going to see uh, this Etten over here to the left. Um, it's not seeing anything really that he wants, and you're going to see him go over. He's going to take one foot and put it on the chest of uh, this uh, man's body on the ground. And then he is going to take uh, his hand, grab a hold of one of the uh, feet, and then rip the leg right off of this thing. And then it's going to smell it for a second, and then it's going to take a bite. And they're extremely distracted at this point. So Nifron and Talia have uh, moved down in here within striking distance, unseen as they uh, watch this scene play out. I'm going to need uh, everybody to go ahead and, well, let's do a sp the surprise round first. So, Nifron is going to move up to beside this Etten and pop out of the tree and take his rapier and uh, dagger and try to slam it into this uh, Etten's back. So, the first attack is a 25 and a 23 with his uh, rapier and then with his bonus attack he's going to stab with his sigh and that's a 19 <laughs> so he's going to do a total of 22 points of damage with the rapier and then he is going to do nine points of damage with the sigh so that is 31 plus his sneak attack uh, will be 39 points of damage. So you see him pop out of this tree line and he's just like, yeah, yeah, uh, and then stabs into uh, the side of this uh, Etten and you see it reach for its back and howl and pain. So um, Talia is going to, would she have line of sight from here? to throw or is the are the trees in the way the trees would be in the way okay then she's going to move here that should be clear line of sight yes uh yep and she's going to attack first with her um off hand or her regular deck for uh she has advantage right uh yep so for uh that's a 24 she'll roll i'll roll her sneak attack and then her offhand, that's a 12, that probably won't hit. Yeah, that's good. But miss. 19 damage from her first attack with her sneak attack. Not too shabby. So you pop out of the uh, the woods, and this thing's pretty tall, and you're pretty short. So you basically come up and you stab it in the butt, and uh, it howls out in pain. And then it's going to swing around to face you, and 
And then now I'll need everybody to roll initiative. I'm so good at rolling initiative. Should I roll again? Uh, what was your original one? Six. Yeah, just go ahead and roll again. You're awesome. Now it's ten. You keep misspelling knife wrong. It should be spelled knife like knife, not niff. He's wrong with the knife. It's actually the spelling of a character who my best friend played back in the AD&D eons ago. And uh, I actually uh, talked to him to get some notes on his character. And I was like, wow, he is way more evil than I remember. (laughs) Closer to Alexander. Well, I mean, the the scene that just played out was a scene that played out in one of those AD&D games. Dang. Except uh, Nifron was taking revenge on someone who had made fun of him in town, <laughs> and then framed. The, but he left the uh, the hut the husband alive, and then framed the murder on him. Of course he did. Top of the round, uh, Nifron does these uh, two attacks, and he is going first. He is going to take uh, some more stabby stabs with his rapier. That is a 16 for the first one for 8 damage and a crit. So the initial damage for that is going to be 15 plus the sneak attack damage, which doubles. And then he's going to roll the crit chart. So that's a 1 on the crit chart. That is nothing happens. Crit damage is normal. Uh, And then he is going to attack with his Psy. That's a 25. That's going to be 10 more damage. Either he has really high dexterity, or that is one hell of a knife. Uh, a little bit of both. Um, so, Nifron is going to take this rapier, and as this uh, Etten is turning around to face him, he is going to take the rep rapier and cut the inside of one thigh, and then the inside of the other, going for the femoral artery, and then he is going to take his sigh and stab it right in the gut. And then you're going to see this Etten fall down to its knees. And it's just got blood pouring out of everywhere. And it does this guttural howl. Just, uh, next up is the Linnardos. All right. Time to move in. All right. That's his full move. And, uh, ooh, Wand of Magic Missiles. Uh, nice. Don't forget you've also got those boots of haste now. All right. Uh, I think, is that a bonus action or a free action to click my heels? Um, that would be a free action to click your heels. Okay, so I'm going to do that. And I believe that doubles my move speed? Yes. Awesome. Runs up there, no problem whatsoever. And attacks with advantage. First hit is a 19. Uh, that hits. For 10 damage. Second is a 25 for 5 more damage. Then he'll spend a chi point for a flurry of blows. Actually, you get one more attack because you're hasted. I do? Awesome. So a 20 for 9 more damage. Dang. Alright, and then flurry of blows. 15. That hits. For another 5. And my last blurry blow. Crit! Alright, roll the table. Oh boy, 20. <laughs> oh, we'll roll 21. Roll it again. Aw, oh, just 9. Aw. Oh. 
All right, death blow. Attack rolls d20 one more time. If you roll 20 again, the target is instantly killed. Uh, but since you didn't kill it, the target loses 50% of their current HP. The target is below 10% of their maximum HP. They're instantly taking to zero hit points. All right, so before that, I had done 15, 24, 29 damage. And then um, either 9 or 50% of whatever it had left. Uh, 50% was more, so I took that off. All right. <laughs> so, it would have that, that was a lot. It would have been 38 damage. Because you yep. had 10, 15, 20, and then 24, 18, then so 29. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think that the critical thing only counts on the last of those five attacks he got that turn. Uh, yeah, I, I was taking the hit points off as he was rolling them. All right, and that'll do it for Illuminate House's turn. All right, Juliet. All right, Juliet will advance, casting a magic missile spell at the Etten that's surrounded by Talia and Alunados. And she's going to upcast that at level 2 for 18 points of force damage. And that will end her turn. All right, so Juliet runs up into this clearing and plants her feet, starts casting magic missile. And uh, you see these missiles come flying out of her hand and slam into both heads. And you're going to see this Etten um, be knocked forward and down onto its knees. Uh, Talia, you're up. All right. So first I'm going to stab. Uh, that's a 21. Um, I'll roll my sneak attack. So that's 24 damage total. And then I will disengage with my bonus action. Okay. So, what's it look like when you kill this Eden? Well, since it's on its knees, I will just run up to him, basically, and and uh, get a good hit on his jugular and, and just stab through his neck so that he bleeds out. So, you stab through the, uh, the head um, on the left, and it starts bleeding out. And you see the head on the right look over to the other head and it's like no 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 and takes its hand and tries to grab a hold of the uh, the other uh, head's neck to try to staunch the blood but so much is pouring out that you just see like its eyes roll back in its head and it starts getting really weak and then falls down to the ground and dies uh, next up is the et beside a uh, nifron it's going to turn and face Nifron, and it's going to attack with its battle axe and its Morningstar. Uh, the first one is a 13, that's going to miss, and the second one is an 11, that's going to miss. So you see this uh, Etten is on its knees, and it rises up, and it takes its axe and slams down to the right, and Nifron deftly dodges out of the way. And then swings the Morning Star um, at Nifron's head, and he just ducks. Uh, next up is Alexander. Woo! I'm gonna run forward and then uh, try and shoot the the guy in the left with my crossbow. 18 to hit. Uh, that hits. Six damage. So, what's it look like when you take this at and out? Wow, I'm so good at this game. Uh, I pull up my crossbow, point towards his head, it flies through, and then you can just see the arrow go through the front side of his skull, then just be implanted, and he falls back. 
as you do that, you're going to hear a whisper in the back of your mind that says, that should have been mine. <laughs> so, uh, we're out of combat now, and Nifron is going to go over to this body that's on the ground, and he's going to take his uh, rapier and his dagger and clean the blood off of them on uh, this body's clothes. All right, what sort of uh, traitor are we looking at here? What sort of goods are in this cart of his? Uh, give me an investigation check. Nine. <laughs> um, so it doesn't take a lot of digging through here because these uh, uh, barrels and crates have been smashed. Um, but what you're seeing is uh, dried fish. So, food. Yes. Uh, I guess you can always use dry rations, right? Give me a wisdom check, or intelligence, rather. Twelve. Um, you would think, with the amount of fish that are in these barrels, there's probably six barrels and probably um, a couple hundred pounds of fish. Um, you're thinking that this would have had to come from multiple uh, fishermen at the uh, at a large river. So probably a trader gathered up fish from multiple fishermen and was taking it inland to sell. Probably. So, I guess now we can continue on to Asheville. We've dealt with the obstruction in the road. Well, I guess we have to pull the cart and dead horse off to the side, but we can, you know, move on now. Okay. Uh, is there anything on the Ettens that could be used for magical purposes or is worth anything? Give me... You're not training Arcana, are you? Nope. Uh, you could give me a nature check. Fifteen. As far as you know, there's not really any use for... Etten parts. If anything, it would be like a like a trophy or a curiosity. Cool. Nifron's going to go over to uh, one of these uh, this body in front of him and start rifling through his pockets. Oh, no one went through their pockets? What? I think you guys were you call yourself looters. <laughs> yeah, Juliet's going to rifle through the other guy's pocket. Okay, you uh, rifle through this uh, other guy's pocket, and you're going to find 30 gold pieces and a silver wedding ring. Nice. Uh, you'll also find um, in the cart a short sword and a spear that it looks like they were probably ambushed because both of the weapons are still in the cart. Do they look special at all, or just kind of generic weapons? Like, are, are they poorly constructed? Are they, like, the kind of thing you'd see on a regular old merchant caravan, for instance? Yeah, I mean, looking at them, you would think that, hey, you know, they bought this at, like, a, either a, a low-priced, you know, blacksmith or got that at, you know, like, a general goods store or something like that. There's really nothing special about them. Okay, cool. Anybody else have any investigating to do? Uh, no. Alrighty. Well, Nifron's going to walk back to his horse and uh, take the reins off the tree and mount up. Uh, Julia is going to start moving stuff off to the side of the road because we never did that. And then once that's complete, then we can make our way through. Any okay. objections? Sounds good to me. Nope. So it takes you probably not more than like 10 minutes uh, to move the cart and drag the bodies um, enough out of the way to where you can move your cart through. It'll take a little bit more to get the horse out of the way, but we'll say after about another 10 minutes, 
with the effort of you and the other people in the party, you're able to move the horse out of the way as well. All right, perfect. All right, so we continue on our way, um, having taken not a single point of damage. Yeah, I just got to say, too, like, when I did this in Kobold Fight Club, this, like, came out as a hard encounter, but <laughs> damn. The surprise round really helped, I think. Send your two damage dealers in to do like 40 points of damage. Yeah, I mean, that each one of those inside baseball ends had 100 hit points, and Nifron in two rounds had that uh, Eden down to like five hit points. Damn. He got a crit roll each time or just the one time? Uh, just the one time, but he gets three attacks around. <laughs> yeah. And let's see, I think that means that I used up one minute of the ten minutes my hasting shoes give me every day. <laughs> we can run around circles if you want. <laughs> nah, I think I'll, I'll save it, just in case. And I think that's probably a pretty good place to end it right there. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dungeons & Debacles podcast. If I could ask a halfling size favor, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's the best way to support us. New episodes come out every Monday, so make sure to check your podcast app. Do you have an idea to make the podcast better? Tell us about it on Twitter or Facebook. You can also check out our website to see all the maps, lore, and characters at DungeonsAndDebaclesPodcast.com. And now a word from our fantasy sponsor. As an important powerful and wealthy person, it could be so hard to stand out in the crowd these days. Make a statement wherever you go with the latest and forward-thinking fashions from Marcus's Haute Couture. We have the finest materials from all corners of Suel, exotic dyes in every shade of the rainbow, and unrivaled craftsmanship. Whether it's your wedding, a graduation, a holiday, or a coronation. We have a style for any occasion that will make you look your best. They will know you came to Marcus as soon as you walk into the room. Located in the finest shopping district in Conley and the world, you can find us in the North Market. Marcus's Haute Couture. Because you are worth it. Well, guys, the most important place we're going to go is that farm to the bottom right. Um, that's we're going to be we're going to find all our loot there. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, there are just to let you guys know, since you haven't done any, any, <laughs> there are side quests to be had that I have created. <laughs> what side quests? Do we need to go around and talk to random people and go through barrels and shit? God damn. I mean, if you did, the quest would be there, but you haven't, so you just been barreling through, which is fine. I've got no problem with that, but side quests are there if you want them. Although, now that you've got Nifron in the party, he may be uh, not so hip to getting distracted by bullshit. He can go fuck himself. That and you guys aren't really motivated by like, oh, my... You know, my, my child's been kidnapped and taken into the woods by evil people, and y'all be like, yeah, so fucking what? Yeah, that's your problem, lady. That sounds like a whole lot of none my business. Exactly. <laughs> I subscribe to the religion of mind your business. I don't know if you've heard about it, 
but it's where you mind your own fucking business. So uh, I got into probably about an hour and a half conversation with uh, my best friend, Dell, who I played AD&D with like back in this would have been like 91 or 92 to the Nifron characters based on. And uh, I was getting some notes from him, like all the, the evil shit that he did. And he was like, dude, you're, you're not playing him evil enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, inside baseball, Nifron is chaotic evil. Well, he's a creature of Lolth or some shit, right? Uh, yes. Which, like in AD&D back in the day, he was basically Lolth's, like, like bitch boy. As all male, male drow are. <laughs> even more so with this. <laughs> and We don't even know that he's a drow. He could be anything. He's a shape changer of some kind. Yeah, I mean, you don't know exactly what he is at this point, other than the fact that you know he's been two different races that you know of and uh i gotta say man like shane you kind of threw me for a loop when uh i had this kind of written out that you're like oh no i don't want to go like kill that woodcutter and his family <laughs> and i was like no, man. i was like shit he went there all right let's do this <laughs> he's defeat what am i supposed to do as uh blake pointed out lawful good <laughs> I, I wasn't really expecting to enter this as an evil campaign but it has devolved to that point uh, excuse me it has changed devolved is very insulting to evil people people who identify as evil you know I although it does say lawful good I identify as a uh, a lawful evil or chaotic evil person uh, please Keep your your stereotypes to yourself. The music you heard on this episode was Trepidation, Giant Worm, Four Origins, Enter the Maze, and Majestic Hills by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. CreativeCommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0.